This is DJ CG from Third Root. Our new album is Passion of the Poets, and you are listening to Verses in Motion on Get Yours Radio. Right now, you're listening to Verses in Motion on Get Yours Radio. Get knowledge, get active. You're listening to Verses in Motion on Get Yours Radio. You're listening to Verses in Motion and Laura LME on Get Yours Radio. Ciao, this is Verses in Motion on Get Yours Radio. Radio. Hello world and welcome back to Verses in Motion from a London studio. I am Laura Lemy, founder, writer, producer of this space that I share with Uncle E, founder of Get Yours Radio in New York City. If you want to listen to VIM current and previous podcasts, you can visit getyoursradio.com or you can look at Mixcloud, Get Yours underscore radio. We are also on Spotify, iTunes and more. This is a selfless space fueled by passion and the will to spread soul waves. And every single guest on VIM is here because they represent talent and soul giving power. Starting with Gaios Radio uh, family, Uncle E and Cecilia, I would like to thank all previous and upcoming guests for their time and the super talented DJs who contribute to VIM with their mixes, their beats and their music. So salute Fabri Saxa, uh, who is um, in uh, Salt Lake, I think at the moment, DJ Proof and uh, DJ Skinny at Skinny Candy J on Instagram. Today with us, and I cannot believe I'm saying this, but I do have just across the video with me, DJ HP. Hi H, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well, thank you. I'm so glad you're here and uh, I'm, I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about. And um, you don't need any introduction, but I will say it just um, to remind uh, everybody who I'm talking to. Yeah. So you're one of the original Funky Dreads, um, member of the world famous musical collective Soul to Soul yeah. and founder of a big musical movement in London, starting from the 80s, mm -hmm. uh, a movement that it was not only a soul movement, but was also a very, uh, very deep in, in soci sociological realities at the time. Yeah. Um, so and, and a path like yours is always like sparked mm -hmm. with, you know, triggers, events and, you know, uh, stop and start situations. So what was your spark? What was the trigger that started everything for you? Um, oh gosh, I mean, there's very there's various points. I mean, you could talk about from when I was very young and in, in the like, in our household, like on a Sunday when, you know, my mum was preparing you know food and that she would always have she would always have like music playing so you had a you know we had like an old-fashioned stereogram where you used to be able to put like about 10 records onto the spindle and it would play a record it, and then when the record finishes the mechanism would lift the needle up bring the need bring it back over to one side the second record would drop down and it would play and I, I guess I gained like so a kind of a passion for music uh, from a very sort of very very early age. Um, as I was growing up, my musical I had I had passion for music, but I guess being in growing up in Britain, sort of like in the early 60s, 
there wasn't um, there wasn't a great deal of um, sort of like there wasn't in essence like a soul music scene or anything else that you know I could kind of attach myself to but so I just attached myself to whatever music I I heard and obviously growing up in Britain at that time I was listening to like a lot of the you know stuff that was on the pop charts um, and on the radio so you had these groups like T-Rex, um, Mike the Hoople, Rod Stewart, Slade, uh, you know, so my music taste was very different when I was a lot younger to what it is now. Um, I guess the spark that kind of changed me from listening to all sorts, uh, then just specifically getting into soul music was when I was about I was about 14 and some friends of mine, you know, took me to, took me to this disco. Um, and it was at a place called East Ham Town Hall. And when I went in there, it, it was the first time that I'd seen so many, you know, black people in the same place at one time. It was heaving. It was maybe about seven, 800 people and the music was really loud and everything else and that. And I remember coming away from it and there was two songs that really resonated with me. And one was Brass Construction, um, Moving, and The Blackbirds, Rockery Park. So when I had the money available to, I then went to the record shop and those were the first two albums that I purchased. And then from there, that in essence was the beginning of my record collection. So, you know, like I said, and that was like 1975 stroke 1976. Um, obviously then began sort of frequenting the night, you know, the club scenes, even though he wasn't actually old enough to get into the clubs because he had to be 18. So, you know, at those times being like 15, 16 and that, you know, he was obviously having to sort of run a bit of a gauntlet to, to, get, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to, get, to get into the clubs. Um, but it was all about, you know, back then it, it was about you know, you'd go to the clubs, you'd hear, you know, you'd hear this, you hear the music and because it, it was all kind of like fresh and, and that, so it was almost like, you know, you'd hear something and, in, you know, you'd be instantaneously addicted to what you're hearing. Um, then there were a few radio shows that were on, um, that you used to listen to. And again, it was like, you'd hear, like this new music being played on the radio during the day and then you go to the club on the, like on a Saturday night or you know whenever and then you'd hear these new tunes being played and it was always this I guess always for me it's just always I've always had this passion about when I when I go out I want to hear I, I want to hear what I don't know but it will it hooks me it gets me you know yeah you know like so like in the but you know i guess that's over time the this the, the whole essence of club life and everything else it, it, it's all kind of 
led now by our world, you know, certain tunes might be popular, all the DJs are playing the tunes that are popular, the people just want to hear the tunes that are popular, and then when the DJ plays something that's not on their radar, you know, then everyone sort of stands still. So, but, um, so like I said, but back to the beginning, then it really was, um, I guess it was just a kind of like a way of life almost at that point of, you know, going to school, you know, kind of having, getting a little Saturday job or doing a paper round or whatever and earning my money to pay for my records and to, you know, buy something to, you know, so that when I'm going out, you look good and everything else. And it was just that, uh, you know. That kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah. Did you vibe. like dancing? Did you like dancing? Yeah, I mean, because obviously you go out and, you know, sort of see people dancing and, you know, and and as well, you know, like the dancing was, a you know, like that whole form of expression, stroke communication. And if you could dance good, then you get to dance with the girls. And yeah. <laughs> London was booming with great dancers back then. There was like yeah, a, lot of, yeah. a, a lot of dancers in uh, Covent Garden, uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, dancing. Just there in the street with the with the radios on and yeah yeah I mean I mean I mean when I first started going to pubs there were certain guys that used to used to see and they you know they were you know they were the you know the the hot dancers and you know obviously you kind of watch them and you know but and then when they're doing their thing you know you had to make sure you well you didn't kind of get in their way or whatever and yeah. so you, you take a sneaky peek at what they're doing and then you'd be off in the corner trying to like practice <laughs> or go home and practice and then you know come yeah. and and I guess it was like the the more you improve the closer to the center of the dance floor you, you could edge yourself closer and closer to the dance floor you know to to sort of have a little strut in amongst those guys and everything else so yeah um, they, they were taking over so you needed to find space you had to find your own space and more, and more importantly as well make sure that you didn't get in anybody else's space because <laughs> yeah. you know it, it, it's it's like the worst thing in the world when you're you're doing your thing and then someone comes and stands in the space and you sort of spin around and like bump into them oh believe me I know I used to be a dancer so I really know uh, yeah mm-hmm. um, I can feel it and also very similar experience to my I I started with you know music at home. Basically, mm-hmm. my, my parents had this uh, uh, sound system um, yeah. that was diffusing the music all over the place, and uh, yeah. uh, they were into they were record collectors and they were really mm-hmm. into music. So I started like that, and then dancing started, and then you know going out, yeah. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. and I was in Italy back then. Um, right, right. Yeah. Okay. So when uh, when you know, when, whenever there's something like happening around in, in mm-hmm. musical terms in any place in the world, there is a, a certain vibe developing mm-hmm. and there is something like the atmosphere changes and you can feel it. Yeah. And what, what was happening when the UK soul and Nazi jazz movement started? Mm-hmm. It, it was all about blue parties and warehouse scenes in London and take yeah. us through that journey Give us well, an idea of what was happening yeah. with the original Rare Group. Well, I think, yeah, because, again, you know, being in the UK, because I guess when we first started venturing it into, you know, into the world of music and and the club scene, that 
it was it was split pretty much into two definitive camps. Um, why it was either reggae, and reggae was obviously synonymous with the whole sound system kind of ethos. Um, it was its it was like its own little setup industry because obviously, like I said, back in the day when uh, the you know the Afro Caribbeans came to England, you know they they didn't couldn't get access to you know the the clubs and the pubs and stuff like that because you know well you know initially like a lot of places they you know they didn't allow black people in so as a part of the, the sort of sort to of entertain themselves obviously certain people certain characters bought their you know bought their sound system or their sound system ethos in you know to England and set up and were doing. So, sorry, let me interrupt you. Like, did you really say that the, that black people were not allowed to go? Yeah, in? yeah when um, yeah in the early you know in the early sixties when the you know I didn't I didn't know that yeah of London I didn't know that of London but yeah, yeah. yeah I mean you used to have you know they used to have like and you know used to have signs like if people had rooms for rent they used to have a sign in the window no blacks no Irish no dogs. Wow. Okay. I mean, um, you know, and I need to study this because I, <laughs> I really, did, I really didn't know about this. Yeah. I, I knew about the whole, um, you know, when also African people came to mm-hmm. uh, to London in the sixties. There was a lot of like uh, mm-hmm. turmoil, and and and, and I know because half of my family is is Nigerian, is black, yeah. so I know that. But I didn't know that it was also, you know, extended to the entertainment space. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what would happen was that, um, you know, that's where the blues parties kind of came about because then, you know, if we could, you know, if, you know, like, like my parents, if, if they wanted to go out, they'd end up going to somebody's house and, you know, and, you know, someone would be there with their sound system and they'd be playing their music and then someone's in the kitchen, they're cooking up the food and someone's over there, they're doing the bar and, that was how that was their way of kind of you know entertainment and as well kind of being able to kind of like socialize with you know our own our own kind so to speak um and then and then what happened as we was growing up we sort of reaching those teenage years like i said the, with the sound you know you, you, you it is it's almost like you had you you had a choice. You could either go into the sound, reggae, the sound system, which was then synonymous with, at that time, the the upcoming of Rastafarianism and everything else. So, you know, because again, you know, us the the black the kids that were born in England in the sixties. So when we so when you're talking about now in you know when we're ten. 11, 12, so now when you're talking like sit between sort of 70, 1970 and say 1976, we're all now searching for some form of identity, you know, because a cultural identity, which obviously that incorporated the music, our fashion, etc., etc. So it was more or less one or two things. You either went into the reggae, which was synonymous with the Rastafarianism and that, or you went into soul music now there was a for a while there was this weird thing where 
as much as these were now, like these were the two sort of predominant black cultures you could go into, they were actually in opposition to each other mm-hmm. because you know the the Rastafarians or the you know the people who were into reggae sort of didn't approve of the soul music because there was this whole connotation about homosexuality connected with soul music and and stuff like that so there was a point where there was almost like contention between people who were into reggae and people who were into soul oh whoa so the london i know since 96 mm. there was totally totally you know empowered in unity mm. uh, whenever i was going out um did not exist back then at all like, no it did no it didn't it didn't exist there was you know it, it really wasn't like that so because like I said, because we were growing up, as we were growing up, we were trying to find our way into like, like I said, you know, I remember, I can remember like, sort of, you know, going to youth clubs and there were guys there who were playing the music. So they were kind of getting the, the latest imports and that's where we was kind of, you know, and then we was getting a bit of an education there. And I remember, you know, at one point I was in, I was like in both camps. So, you know, one night I could be going to, you know, a reggae club and dressed a certain way, listening to, you know, where listening to like, you know, some hard dub and some reggae and everything else. And then the following night I'm down another place now and I'm listening to soul, funk and disco, etc., etc., etc. And even there, like I said, and even like I said, this thing about a conflict, because I used to go, to, I used to go to soul clubs, and I had a, and I was involved in a reggae sound system, and I had a part, I had a party. So all these people that knew me from the soul scene came to my party, but because my sound system was playing, I wouldn't play any soul music because, in in a sense, back then playing soul music, a reggae. A sound system playing soul music it was almost like deemed um sacrilegious it's like it just it just wasn't a done thing and i remember then what really kind of then changed what kind of made the things merge of all things in my opinion it was when michael jackson released um off the wall mm. now that changed a lot in Italy as well. Mm. That album that was yeah. groundbreaking everywhere, yeah. really. Like, yeah, yeah, and that that um, somehow, you know, the contents of that album managed to transcend the, the differences of the, you know, the different. Yeah, it's like it, gave, it, gave, it created a bridge. Yeah, so it created then, a bridge. Yeah. Yeah. So then you had like this weird phenomenon where you now a reggae sound system will be playing something from this album, and then so then certain reggae sounds then began to play more soul music on the on their sound, mm-hmm. and then that's where you know, and then you know, then you had. From the, on the other side, the you know you had a whole another kind of culture, the soul on the soul circuit, which in the early in those early days was actually pretty much dominated by white DJs, mm-hmm. um, and 
Well, even like I say, even the DJ that I kind of first really experienced was a guy called Froggy, and he was oh, one. Yeah. He was like one of the first DJs to actually kind of like start doing the mixing of two you know two records and that whole concept of having two turntables because the reggae sound systems is all about just having one turntable and when the music was changed when there was a changeover of the record then you had the MC who would keep the vibe going whilst you know the next record was put on and then and then that would go off but the soul scene it was like the music was just continuous because you know DJs were playing between two turntables and then I could say probably round about late in the late 70s so maybe about 1979 like I said then there began to be this sort of merging of the two kind of cultures and the two kind of technologies so now you had like sound systems were kind of like you know that was in the, the early days of the advent of the 1200 um, so when that came out now you know people are buying you know buying buying them buying two of those and you know mixing or, or even if you weren't even mixing it was just you know just fading from one tune to another so there was no actual break in the music um so that's that all kind of happened and then i guess when he got to about 1981 then the soul the soul scene again took another bit of a twit a bit of a turn because like i said because even with even then where you had that the soul scene where you had, like I said, it was predominantly kind of controlled by white DJs. You actually had this outfit called the Soul Mafia and, you know, there was only only one black DJ was actually in that and he would, that was this guy, Greg Edwards, because he had a massive radio show on, back then on Capital Radio on a Saturday night and that was almost like, you know, religiously the holy grail of, of the, the music yeah, like that, yeah. yeah. so between, and, between him and uh, another guy Robbie Vincent who had a show on the Saturday afternoon you know it was literally like you know wake up you know do whatever you gotta do then when Robbie Vincent came on you know I'd usually go to my friend's house we'd sit there we'd listen to it we'd be taping you know we'd be you know taping it on the cassette you know taping the yeah. songs <laughs> you know, cut it when he starts talking and uh, all of that. So you could keep the music and dance yeah. later or listen to yeah, it later. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool, yeah. Yeah, and then, or then we'd still, or we'd listen and we'd hear something and then we'd go, then we'd go to the West, go down to the West End to go and buy some of the tunes that, you know, we just heard during the day. Then you, like, then you come back, then you listen to Greg Edwards in the evening. And then when he and then when Greg's show was finished, then you was getting ready to go to, to what, the club, you know. The yeah. Yeah. So the yeah. week, you know, the weekend was pretty, pretty much that was the format of the weekend for a, you know a good few years. And then obviously other clubs started to come out and everything else. And but even still, there was still a little bit of an element of certain clubs. In certain areas that you know black guys if you went you know if there was more than two of you you wouldn't get in you know 
Well, I didn't. I really didn't know that. I thought that at least in the music and entertainment kind of thing, you know, going out mm. at night, it would be. It would. I, I assumed it was different. No, no. I mean, in Italy, I have to say, in Italy, I, I started going out really young because mm-hmm. one of my best friends and um, a mentor of my music knowledge as well, uh, Maurizio Laurentacci, used to do. Um, soul and uh, funky disco nights um, mm-hmm. and uh, and, I, and I used to sneak in as a 15 year old um, yeah. <laughs> and, and, I, and yeah and it was, it was incredible for me to see that you know I, I mean and there was no uh, problem wherever mm-hmm. you were coming from or the color of your skin or anything like that so yeah. mm-hmm. uh, I actually I'm surprised that London was going to be yeah, the same, there, was, but... yeah there was there was a lot of that I mean you know there was always this thing about the you know like oh you know the black guys because and you know to be fair you know that because we didn't spend a lot of money at the bar we were more interested in going in there dancing you know checking the girls and you know having a good time that way we weren't about sort of going in there and getting you know buying loads of alcohol no 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 it was not like it was dancing music yeah. vibes it was all of that yeah yeah so it was it was it in covent garden that so covent garden no 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 that wasn't no that this is this is prior all of this is all of this is prior Be prior to the africa center prior to the africa yeah yeah center. okay so um, so like I said, so when it got to about 1982, um, like I said, the, this thing about the where there was this merging of the different cultures of the reggae and the soul, like I said, like some people were still trying to be quite purist about one or the other. So I was in a, I was in a sound system. Uh, which was called FBI, and in you know, and obviously there was there was about eight of us in there or whatever. So, and some of us were like, yeah, let's you know, we were prepared to kind of like, yeah, mix it all up and start playing the soul music now, etc., etc., etc. But some some guys they didn't want to do that, so it got to a point where it's like, oh, you know what, this ain't really. This ain't really going in the direction that I want to go, so I left. I left mm. the system, the sound system that I was in. Yeah. Um, and then at that, just at that point, um, one of the one of the other guys in the sound, one of his friends was coming to our events, and his name was Daddy Harvey and he was part of a sound system called soul to soul Mm. so for the first six months or so you know it was like he was coming to our things coming to our things and that and then one night we you know actually went to one of you know their sessions and that um and it was and that this was just like in um it was like in a in a school hall or something because again still at that point we were still trying to find places where we could do our own things because we were still you know we still had to as i said you know this thing of trying to go to the clubs in the west end and getting knocked back and all of that so you know we we were still we were we we're always on this thing of like trying to do our own thing it's like well if we can't get into the clubs let's just do our own thing so yeah. 
you know, like I said, and that started off with doing that would be doing like say community centres, school halls, etc., etc., etc. So this one night, um, uh, I remember going to you know went to an event that you know Soul to Soul were playing, the Soul to Soul sound system was playing at, and I remember kind of like you know being there, sort of checking out the vibe and everything of what was going on and everything else and I was like mm, yeah this yeah like because obviously at this point now I you know the sound system that I was in it was now defunct or I'd yeah. left mm-hmm. and I was like well if I was still involved in doing the sound system this is kind of like what I would like my sound to be like um, met Jazzy that night I mean he wasn't called Jazzy when I first met him Um you know we didn't really didn't really say much to each other um and that um but then as tight you know afterwards after you know we sort of had several meetups and stuff like that and there was a point where the sound that i was in was talking about trying to merge together and everything else and that but again that didn't happen because you know the attitude of some people just it, it just wouldn't have, it just wouldn't have worked yeah, there's always some e- egocentric uh, around, right? Whenever you want to do it. Ego, but like I said, it was a thing about culture or, you know, like I said, you know. Differences, yeah, differences. differences in the, you know, in the direction in which one, you know, people wanted to go. Um, and then I don't really know how I, how I then got involved. There was, I think I used to then yeah I used to then kind of like tag along so it was like well you know if they were doing something I'd kind of go early and then maybe you know maybe help you know moving the speakers help you know do this do that um, and then it got to a point where once the system had been wired up and it'd been tested and then it was like you know you're waiting for now the crowd to arrive so then you know, I guess because I was like the new boy in effect, then I would start playing, doing the early warm-up set. And yeah. That, um, and then... So you started playing that, actually? I started, started, I started playing, playing yeah. yeah, in, you know, on the, in the Soul to Soul sound system. So, so this is like, say, so this is you talking like 80, 83 to sort of like 84, and then things kind of, and then things kind of started to snowball because now you sort of entering a, a change, like say like this social economical change where it was like the age of, you know, Margaret Thatcher was prime minister and obviously the way that she kind of came in and just turned everything upside down. So you know it was all about you know, sort of make, you know, the age of entrepreneurship, you know, trying to get people off of unemployment benefit and stuff like that. So, you know, and I remember they did this thing where they would say, all right, you know, that they would, um, instead of paying you your like unemployment benefit, they give you the same money, but they were technically saying they were giving it to you as an investment for you to set up your own business. So. You know, I kind of took it on and sort of said, "All right, I was, I, you know, when that's and then this is where we began with the opening up the shop, 
So, yeah. you know, it was like, okay, so I sort of took my money and sort of invested it in kind of like helping to open up the record shop department of a little, you know, we had this little store in Camden High Street and, you know, so the store was at the front and at the back there was like space where we kind of had like an office and then even to be able to keep all the, you know, because we had the actual, the actual physical sound system, the boxes and everything else. So, and, um, you know, and then from there, that was it, you know, just began working on this, you know, this idea and this concept of like music and fashion and everything else. They all kind of went hand in hand for us. Um, you know, we were doing various events here and there and that, and, you know, some of them, well, quite a few of them, didn't really result in a mate in a lot a great deal in regards to turnout or whatever mm. and then it was then it was like we the advent of like understanding well look if we want people to come to our events we're gonna have to go out there and you know start promoting ourselves yeah you know yeah. really promoting hard so that was a beginning of like the whole thing of obviously getting flyers designed getting them printed and that a Daddy was a he was a printer by trade, so he actually had his own printing set up within this. Little oh right, okay. Place. You still have those flyers? You have some of them? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I wish I had them, but I I, I don't have any. I, I had a whole collection of them, and then I donated them to. Oh uh, right, okay, yeah, yeah. So, but um, but yeah, so you know, we'd have to get the you know, and the flyer. And these were like maybe hand drawn, you know, like hand drawn design and stuff like that and then they get printed and then we had then we had to go out so you know we'd be going to you know we'd be going to various nightclubs whatever was going on or you know down Camden High Street on a you know on the Saturday or the Sunday in the weeks preceding and you know anybody that we saw that kind of looked like they could be into it you know give them a flyer da, 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 and and slowly you know we began to build up you know a following you know because then the events are getting well attended you know we've done some major warehouse parties like uh, one in King's Cross which is like a under the arches oh wow okay um and uh there was a place which was just down the road from where the shop was it was called the cut on greenland place uh -huh. we did a few there and you know we may be talking about having like four or five hundred people just packed into into this venue this space and you know the sound system was tumping away etc 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 um one day, um, you know, some guy kind of came into the shop and, you know, conversation ensued and everything else. And then it turned out that he had uh, this connection with the Africa Centre in Covent Garden. And, you know, he, you know, he ended up with, you know, an arrangement being made for us to, you know, basically go down there, bring our stuff down there and start doing a Sunday night down there. Um, so when that started, I mean, the first, I think the first night, it, you know, we probably only pulled in about 30 people. 
and half of them that and that included us lot in the sun and friends and family so you know we didn't get a great turnout but you know we we stuck with it we you know we made some alliances with different people along the way so you know some didn't last too long or whatever but you know we persevered with the the process like saying the promotion and everything else and then eventually you know sunday you know sunday night at the africa center became you know that was it became sunday. became huge and then yeah. it, it, it started spiraling again with the the friday nights at the fridge in brixton and yeah then, yeah so, so if you think about one of those nights and you close your eyes for a second what what do you uh remember the most of what is what is uh, really playing your soul chords when you think about those nights um the it's just like the the energy the mm. energy the whole energy which was a combination of the sound the people the dancers the decor because you know um because you know we we kind of went all out in kind of you know the decor of dressing the place up. Like we used to have all these massive drapes sort of hanging because the way this Africa Center was, it was it was a big hall, but then it had like an upper about it had a balcony all the way round. So mm. we used to hang these drapes over the balcony. So, you know, obviously not not too low. So but there. So wherever you were on the dance floor, you could see and these images and and these images were as well, you know, that was all part and parcel of like creating a whole image about the whole funky dread thing of, you know, in essence, you know, we, we were being, we were portraying ourselves of like basically coming from another planet and, you know, our, our mission was just merely to just, you know, spread the vibe and entertain people and, and stuff like that. So, you know, I, it was everything, you know, down to like, you know, we were running the bar and, you, you know, and people, and there were so many people that were kind of like prepared to come along and get involved in helping to make it all work. Yeah, there was a big team um, yeah. effort, you know, it was a big team work, work situation. Yeah. And, you know, and, but, you know, a lot of people, they were just doing it for the love of it and say, you know, all right, it meant that they could get, you know, they get in the night for nothing, but they were giving something, I guess they were giving us something back by, you know, donating their time and effort to do, you know, like I said, whether yeah. it was work behind the bar, to do the cloakroom, yeah. to be on the front door, you know, and they it, didn't even know that they were part of a huge movement. It was going to become historical, right? So yeah. they didn't even know that. And who was DJing that? It, it was you? Um, well, yeah, myself, Jazzy, um, Q, um, and then you had you know, a couple of guys would come and do the, like MC and stuff like that. And then we began to have, you know, certain DJs were who we, who we kind of, you know, respected and felt were good enough, were allowed to come and, you know, make guest appearances there. So uh, Trevor Nelson, Norman Jay, uh, CJ McIntosh. Yeah. Um, you know, there wasn't a there were there wasn't a, me a great deal of people that 
you know, we actually kind of allow to come in, you know, outsiders to come in and, and DJ because at the end of the day, you know, it, it yeah, was, you wanted to keep the, you know, you wanted to keep the the, the nights at a mm-hmm. certain, you yeah. know, level as 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 expected, you know, by yeah. the crowd and. Mm-hmm. So you needed to to pick and choose the ones. Yeah, yeah. Well, wow, Norman Jay and CJ McIntosh, uh, yeah. of course. <laughs> um, yeah. um, Paul Trouble Anderson. I oh, Paul, yeah. Paul Trouble there. Anderson. And, uh, Listen, I arrived in London in 96, and I remember one of the first nights um, my best friend Alan took me to mm-hmm. was at the loft when um, okay, Paul yeah. was doing yeah the loft mm-hmm. in Camden. I think it was a... Thursday night, Thursday night um, yeah. yeah it was him and uh, Tony Humphries playing back to back almost every Thursday um, mm-hmm. and I remember I will never forget his energy and the passion that I could see coming out of his face and his mm. body and his hands yeah, yeah, yeah. Playing and it, uh, I, I miss seeing him playing a lot so yeah yeah yeah, uh, he is, yeah it's, he is. it's always in my heart yeah. um, so were, were there any like Girls DJs around, good ones back then. Uh, back then, London. Mm, truthfully, not that I, not that we knew her because never there was never any there was never any female DJs that we sort of sought out to say for them to come and play for us whatever they must have been around but maybe they were a little bit underground who knows yeah, we'll, we'll find yeah. out we'll find out <laughs> yeah i'm sure i'm sure there was i'm not saying that there wasn't any but, yeah you know there there wasn't any that you know were really prevalent at that at that point because i think to see at that point there I, and a thing again which was diff which was um different to like now where you know, we, you know, back then, obviously, the way how, you know, the, the whole structure of society was and that, you know, it got to a point where, you know, I kind of had to make a decision like, well, look, you're going to do this thing full time and not really knowing where it was going mm-hmm. or, you know, because it, it, it now become, it was now, there was now a bit of a conflict between doing doing like the the sound system and everything else and like doing a nine to five because lo and behold you know for maybe of course yeah maybe three four nights a week you're up until whatever hours of the morning and then you've got to go to work and then you're tired and everything else and that so and i can remember like making this decision for me for myself it was around about 1985 like okay right i'm gonna you know i'm gonna stop working and in essence i guess being a dj or having this you know being involved in the sound system and seeing where it you know where it takes us and that where i think like nowadays people couldn't really can't you can't really do it nowadays because you know the if you're not earning your money to pay your rent or to do this or whatever you know it's, it's just not it just can't be done yeah, but but the th- the thing is, you know, when 
when something like this happens that mm. you don't know where it's going because it's just fueled by passion so you yeah. you don't really think about where it's going you just do it because you yeah. want to do it and you feel like if you don't do it you'll die you know mm-hmm. and 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 that and you were nurturing the scene you know you were yeah, one of the nurturers exactly. of the scene mm-hmm. so of course it, it was like the struggle was what am i going to do next you know shall mm-hmm. i just put all of myself in there full immersion in there or or um, yeah it must have been a, a big time of decision making and yeah. sacrificing as well you know mm-hmm. a lot uh, by your own life um and and then when did you understand that this uh, passion of yours um with jcb and you know with all the other uh, people mm-hmm. of the group was going to become so much more than that um oh i guess when yeah obviously yeah, i guess so once the africa so when the africa center was kind of like yeah it was riding high uh, in its own rights now and and then um and then it was just yeah basically when jazzy when uh, he and Nelly they got together and made fair play and um you know and because the whole concept of this whole sound system concept was you know this thing about you know playing music you know you playing music that nobody else could play nobody else had so you know i guess the best way to guarantee that was to make your own rec- you know make your, your own, own music yeah, yeah of course which is like what the sound system were doing where they would you know they'd have their own this you know they'd have specials made it might be a popular tune but the version that they would play would be you know obviously name checking and making reference to them and their sound and their crew and everything else so so when fair play was made um and it was you know and you know sort of seeing that the when it seeing the effect that that had when it was played in the in the africa center um you know and then you know the you know all the DJs who you know because all the DJs that maybe would come in attendance or whatever obviously they were all clamoring to clamoring for the tune and everything else and that so but then when um when Jazzy got the deal with 10 records and that then I guess that's when we sort of figured out okay this is this, you know this is going somewhere which at that time I guess I I hadn't even thought about you know that concept about you know yeah you were not even thinking about it as I said because you were yeah. just going with the flow and the flow was mm-hmm. taking you to yeah so and yeah. um, when uh, so you you've been writing conscious soul music and and you know mm-hmm. that there was a very a successful time for that kind of music because as you said yeah. before people were looking for their own identity mm-hmm. they wanted to understand what their place was in any culture in the UK and in London in particular mm-hmm. um, so what does it mean to write conscious conscious soul music and reach audiences worldwide mm. um, well I guess yeah I think yeah well what does it mean i guess it was just always it was just like a form of expression because i guess again like i said this thing about you know our identity express you know finding our identity expressing our identity so you know we weren't really about sort of writing about love songs or anything else it was about the the concept was about sort of like upliftment of the of the spirit and that and 
you know doing doing something positive because again the whole you know the social construct and that that you know we've raised yeah. them and sort of like you know sort of you know so we're there still we're still trying to oh you know then you know we're still trying to overcome the limitations that um were being put on us in regards to you know maybe where we any sociological limitation that was around yeah. really yeah. Yeah. and uh, let's talk about the funky dread so that, mm-hmm. that was like even more spiritual than anything else because you you know he was coming from church and he was coming from a philosophy mm-hmm. that well the social the funky dread thing like i said again this was um uh, again it, it it is a result of the convergence of these of the different you know the different cultures that we had around us at that time again searching for an identity and it was like well you know it was like identifying with the certain elements of you know rastafari the lot the dreadlocks and that but then obviously recognizing and the aspects of the whole soul music thing so obviously that being like the clean cut and everything else so in essence it was like well merging the two together therefore having the locks on the top and the hair shaved at the sides and even in the early days you know there was you know there were certain people that would maybe you know frown upon what we were doing because it was like well you can't have locks and be cutting your hair and then the fact that the way we were doing it kind of inspired other people you know other young kids to do it to kind of follow that suit and you know their parents are getting upset because you know they're starting to wear their hair in hair in locks because you know again social elements or whatever that you know rastafarianism was kind of frowned upon and uh, and you know our parents our parents didn't want us to get involved in that so having the hairstyle you know i guess in a way we you know not purposely but we sort of almost made it sort of almost like ex- a bit more acceptable and a bit more fashionable to have locks yeah and uh, so and again I you know we never sort of sort of consciously thought yeah. doing it but like I said but we did sort of say it was consciously a thing of saying well almost like merging these the two different you know the two different extremes of you know the the most sort of predominant cultures that we had around us at that at that time at that time yeah i, I can feel when while we're talking that there there were so many circumstances that just worked like circles mm-hmm. around the whole thing and mm-hmm. you know even the africa center being a refugee place and mm-hmm. it's quite symbolic yeah uh, thinking about it and mm-hmm. the you know the whole funky dread philosophy um and and the whole movement that was around so it, it, it then became something huge like almost seven million albums and 20 mm. million singles and two grammys and it's, it's just when that hit you what did you what was your your reaction did you feel like what what's happening well, here? Did you like you were like, around or? well in a sense it was almost like yeah it was like yeah it was almost like wow like you know like a bit of a dream come true you know um uh, on one hand you know 
because I guess in doing what we were doing, you know, no, there was no certainty as to what was going to happen. But obviously, from the release of from the release of Fair Play, um, and then subsequently, then it was uh, Feel Free that didn't make a great impact. But then, obviously, when Keep On when Keep On Moving was released, and you know, back to life. The impact that made back to life, and then back to life. When back to life made, obviously, when back to life got to number one. I mean, I you know I can kind of remember the day. You know, we were all in the shop and listening. You know, and obviously we knew it had got to number one because we know we knew by the Thursday. But obviously to hear it, you know, hear it announced on the, the radio and everything else, and like we literally having this big party and everything else and that and. You know, and that was a, it was a mate, it was an amazing experience just to say, like, wow, okay, we've cracked, you know, we've cracked it. We, you know, we felt like, yeah, that's it. We've, you know, we've cracked this, what, you know, the, the, the ceiling. Yeah, you, you, you broke through, basically. It was a breakthrough of broken through. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of taken things into another dimension. <sighs> Ironically, later on, when, um, so yeah, back to life. When back to life got to number one, if it was the following, basically when the Brit Awards, when the Brit Awards came up mm-hmm. after you know, and I remember you know we went there, we performed there, and you know we it was almost like yeah, this you know this you know felt that it was a you know a dead cert that we were going to get. You know, we'd obviously been nominated for, I think, whether it's Best Newcomer or Best British Act or whatever it was. Yeah. And then subsequently, the, the you know, the category that we were in, the, the award was given to, given to Lisa Stansfield. Yeah, I remember, yeah. And it was like, okay. And, you know, and like I said, and then the crack is that, you know, and the biggest joke of all is that, the, you know, the backing music for her, for Lisa Stansfield track, was basically a dead rip-off of Back to Life. Yeah. <laughs> so it was almost like, oh, right, well, okay, well, we haven't really done anything, so we haven't really done anything after all. It was like kind of like a bit of a bringing down to earth and that, you know, with a, with a heavy bump. But yeah. in turn, the next thing you knew now was that, you know, it was the, you know, it was the soundtrack of America, New York, LA, etc., etc. He but was everywhere. He was. He was, he was in Italy. Was taken by storm uh, mm-hmm. as well. And uh, I, I, I used to go a lot to France at the time because I was studying French. So mm-hmm. he was there too. He was everywhere. I mean, yeah. there was not one place in the world where they didn't yeah. know about you guys and uh, mm-hmm. your music. Um, I never believed in awards anyway. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know sure. what I mean? Like, yeah. Fine. Okay, I watch sometimes just to, mm-hmm. to have five minutes of fun. But to be honest, I don't really believe in that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, what would you tell our soul brothers and sisters out there who are really still keeping the soul music alive, and mm-hmm. all the young people who want to create and share soul music? Mm-hmm. What What is your message? What are the elements that fueled and fueled and and still fuel your passion for this incredible thing that I call soul waves? Um, it really is just, it's really just to be, and I might sound really cliche, but it's just be true to, be true to yourself, be true to yourself 
and love what you and you know and love what you do um i you know like i said i still you know from a djing perspective because um, it was my birthday yesterday and I did oh a, happy birthday H I didn't know sorry I did a and on the radio station the diverse diverse FM so the presenter who's normally on before me mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're of a similar with similar ilk and everything else so we did this five hour back to back you know vinyl session because I you know I very rarely take vinyl out nowadays. You know, it's all about you know. Oh, I need to catch up that that that, that show. I need to catch up. Uh, yeah. uh, I missed it. Uh, yeah. Is he already online somewhere? Where can I find well, it? Where yeah, can we find on, it? It's on the um, Listen Again section on Diverse FM from Diverse FM. Yeah. yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, great news about Diverse FM uh, spreading the waves mm-hmm. uh, even further. Um, yes. what, what is happening with that? Is it, is um, it well, I know that they've been given the you know the go ahead to basically turn up the power. Um, I think obviously in amongst all this COVID thing and that whatever you know certain thing, it's all taken a little bit longer than uh, expected. But the, in essence, that will mean that the on the FM that it will be able to kind of obviously it will be spreading out further on the FM than it is now um, but I said I'm not exactly sure when it's going to be actually happening yeah you know, yeah so uh, if you if we want to go and check out your show on diverse FM what do we mm-hmm. do we go yeah if you're know, on diverse FM you can find like my profile or like I said um, and you can go in the listen again section and find uh, the show or go on your website, right? So. Or um. Well, yeah, I'm a bit actually I'm a bit lackadaisical getting it updated on my. Oh, website, okay. So. But um, I or I normally you know or sometimes I will put it on my mixed cloud. But the one yesterday, the five hour session, I've actually just spent a bit of time kind of going through it and um, editing out a few blips and stuff like that. So I'm hoping to get that up on my mixed cloud by the uh, by the weekend the four or five hour session so by saying like you know last night now you know to be playing you know some of the tunes that I'm playing there are like you know from 1975 78 I, I dare say there probably wasn't anything that I played last night that was um, later than sort of 1988 mm. you know and the be able to play the, you know, the fact that I can still play those tunes and, you know, get all excited about it and everything else and and that it is to me that's just a testament of like, you know, obviously quality will always stand the test of time. Of course, yeah. yeah. You know, so like I said, you know, so to be playing these records like these thirty and thirty-five year old records and, you know, still bouncing off the walls and. You know, maybe we can't we can't dance as rigorously as we used to do, but you know, <laughs> we're, still in, uh, we're still infused by the by the by the spirit of it all. And that. So, Listen, music is timeless, and every time it just my spirit just goes everywhere, and I don't feel any age, and I don't feel any mm-hmm. uh, you know. And and music saved my life in this uh, 
period um, this during this lockdown it was yeah yeah my music is 24 hours a day mm-hmm. uh, with me um, and I have to say apart you know from the fact that I, I, I am I'm a believer in Jesus as my savior Jesus of the divine mercy and I mm-hmm. praise him every day but music is, is, is really something that saves my day every day and your show is amazing I, I'm, I'm really um, a fan of your show on, uh, okay. on, on Diverse FM mm-hmm. uh, but you know and also I was I want to say thank you to all of you DJs and you know to all all the DJs that have been providing the music online yeah, even yeah, going yeah. through tough times you know mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and in particular you know uh, uh, I listen a lot to uh, Dumb Funk as well um, mm-hmm. DJ Span uh, DJ Skinny um, mm-hmm. So, it, it, you know, I have to say, these, these guys, you know, are really like, um, you guys are really, really helping uh, many people to go through these times. How was your lockdown? Um, yeah, well, for me, it was, it was a bit of a strange one. Because um, uh, just, yeah, just before the lockdown, um, my business partner, he passed away. Oh, sorry to hear that. And um, yeah, and it was kind of put me in a bit of a frame of mind as to um, be extra careful. Uncertainty yeah. about you know continuing doing the promotion and stuff like that. And then with the lockdown kind of coming in, it was like oh, almost to the point. It's like all right, well you haven't really got much of a choice in that now. It's not really much you can do. Um, I mean, for me, it's it's been a time. I guess you know, like I said really this this last year has been a bit of upheaval and that because I lost my mum in December last oh, year. Sorry to hear that as well. Yeah. So in effect, that the 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 lockdown thing kind of actually provided me with sort of time and space to kind of. You know, kind of recuperate from you know the you know these massive changes and that because I guess you know losing your mum there's probably you know no greater loss you're going to sort of suffer really than that. So uh, you know it's it's given me that it's given me time and space to kind of recoup and then uh, actually given me time and space to kind of get reacquainted with my music because now I've been going back and listening listening through you know listening to album putting an album on and listening to it and then hearing a track on an album like oh that actually sounds pretty good and you know uh, and start you know and and playing it out or whatever or or you know or i'll record it i'll record it onto the laptop and then i can utilize it in in a show and stuff like that so i could say that probably there's a you know there's a fair amount of tunes that I've been playing over the last few months that maybe if this lockdown thing wasn't happening I might not have like I said reconnected or even discovered certain you know certain tunes mm-hmm. yeah absolutely it, it, it happened to me as well there was a lot of writing um, mm-hmm. for me as well there was a lot of thinking about versus emotion and this space and how to make sure that I would give the, the, the opportunity to create these time capsules, you know, where sure. people could go just back there and, and, and listen and understand how it was before and during and after maybe <laughs> the lockdown. Um, yeah. yeah, and about your mum, I'm really sorry I, I lost both my parents and my mum just five years ago, but it's like, 
inner ends like the pain and you know the, the, yeah. the missing them and yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and it never ends so it's not something that just goes away it never goes no, away no. um yeah so mm. mu- music again helps a lot in, yeah, yeah, for yeah. me as well yeah. in my life um so you you have your your show sold 360 on saturdays between 8 and 10 p.m yeah. uh, uh, the Soul of London Radio, London Soul Radio, uh, mm-hmm. on Wednesdays at 10 p.m. until yeah. midnight, yeah. Um, and uh, on Diverse FM. How can how can we uh, uh, listen to Diverse FM from the UK? Um, well, you can listen to it. On, well, obviously through the web, just via the website. Oh, okay. Diversefm.com. Um, obviously you know you take into account the time difference or whatever um that yeah so that yeah is so that's the best way to listen. obviously it's available on like you know tune in and various other sort of online radio apps as well it's great on, it's on quite a few of those as yeah well. Let, let's do something fun yeah. now mm-hmm. Let, let's let's think about who's your favorite soul singer of all times or one of the top 10 oh uh, Gosh. Okay. Um, I've got a few too. Well, I guess I've got obviously Brother James, the hardest working man in show business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's he's up there ranking. Um, my favourite female trio by far, the Jones Girls. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, those are the two favourites. Ashford and Simpson are very big on my list. Um, not only as artists and performers, but as songwriters. I, I truly believe that they are probably, you know, one of the greatest songwriting duos uh, of all time. And now, obviously, Nick Ashford, he's no longer here, but Valerie Simpson. Um, is and actually, and the thing that, like, because Valerie's birthday's she, my birthday's the same day as hers, so that's oh wow, okay. I don't know, that's why I, ha- I have a massive affinity towards towards anything that those guys do because obviously they, they did a lot of stuff like uh, wrote a lot of the mo you know, Mount uh, Motown, Motown records, yeah, hits and stuff, like hits, yeah, that, yeah. Um, so. Those that's those three are kind of like you know most prominent. Patrice Russian, mm, yeah, you know, Patrice Russian, yeah. You know, she's yeah. absolutely amazing. Song again, you know, songwriter, artist, producer, um, and I remember if I remember rightly when we went to go on tour back in 1990, we actually wanted we were actually trying to sound her out to be a. Uh, be um, the musical director for the tour but I don't know I don't know what happened oh wow okay that, uh, there's a, a song by Patrice Russian that is really one of my favourite uh, from by her mm. uh, and he goes I was tired of being alone yeah <laughs> I, don't, I won't sing because if no, I, I sing they just I can't sing but yeah. Uh, yeah I don't remember the title but yeah. the song no, yeah. the we, we have one thing in common we mm. do like the both of us we like a lot that uh, change song um, Heaven in My Life mm. uh, uh, that song 
to me is just in a top 10 songs of all time yeah, and yeah, yeah, and whenever i share that song with anyone or mm. i uh yeah or sunday 21 is because i really my heart is my mm. heart and my soul are all there yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. so if you ever have received that song from me that means <laughs> i really love you deeply yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah i love it because if i if i hear it sometimes if i'm at home and i've got my itunes playing or even if i'm in the car i've got a, you know an old yeah. in the car I, I can't I can't listen to that tune one time if it comes on Oh I'm my god I have to listen to it yeah 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 I have to yeah. you know rewind it at least three times or something Yeah the oh, the Patrice Russian song I just remember is I was tired of being alone yeah because yeah, she's right. always she's always uh, she's always um uh, you know um associated with uh that other song um that goes forget me, like, not. Forget me not yeah, yeah but yeah, actually yeah. i really like i was tired of being alone this is my mm. favorite yeah 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 i mean yeah, yeah. She's, got, she's got a you know she's got a fantastic catalog of tunes mm. and that so you know it's uh, to each his own and oh yeah there's quite a few quite a few i know i've got quite a major selection of hers as well so mm uh, And again like you say like you know you know kind of remember hearing like you know forget me nots and you know that when it was brand spanking new and it, it just it was just so outstanding and It's an amazing song yeah and um and I and I am so you know I'm so happy that I guess I was, you know was born and raised in that era musically mm-hmm. um you know when I you know when i listen to what's happening now it it's it's so different it's so different i mean and there was a time where i just like oh i just couldn't stand it but like now i've kind of got i've got a bit of an appreciation for it and i and then when i listen to it, i i listen to it from a point of view now of like how the songs are written and constructed and even now i'd say that there is a that songs are written and constructed a lot differently to how they used to be yeah you know there's there's so much more emphasis on just having like these catchy repetitive little bits and then they just stick them all together and and that and rather than it you know the original concept of a song of having your intro your verse your bridge your chorus da 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 it's just but everything worked Worked. everything worked perfectly like every single instrument and and the lyrics and the breaks and the starts mm. and everything was um it, it was it was really thought um about you know it was mm. just put together to, to to just put it online and you know it was a completely different story it yeah, was like yeah yeah it was like making pasta from scratch <laughs> <laughs> instead of just buying the packet instead you know what i mean yeah, like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. totally different and mm. the taste is totally different I, I'm, yeah. i can't even eat pasta i'm gluten-free unfortunately but yeah, yeah. that's what it means yeah. um so h i am so grateful i really thank you for your time and i would love to have you back uh when uh, whenever you you're available i know you're very busy so it's hard to get hold of you but whenever you you're available just uh, send me a text or you know let me know and uh we'll sure. do a part two and uh okay. i yeah. cannot wait for your exclusive mix for versus in motion that you're going to provide uh okay. to, to this show to, to conclude and close the show with mm. uh really excited about that okay. um can't wait um it's funny because actually i because i'm just thinking because the heaven of my life the last time i actually saw 
did a, an, an, an event, was a, a virtual event for uh, the Summer Solstice Festival and I played Heaven of My Life and the Tired of Being Alone. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> there's, there's always a spiritual uh, kind of uh, waveform uh, yeah, you know, yeah. that happens with my guests on the show. Mm -hmm. That's why um, I really pick and choose. And uh, I'm blessed by the fact that you even wanted to consider to be here. So thank you so much. No, well, um, thank you for deeming me worthy to be on it. So, <laughs> so, okay. okay, thank you. <laughs>